This is Rekindled Teachers. Welcome. I'm your host, Christina McGee. You did it. You officially survived teaching during a pandemic and the only global pandemic in this century, or at the very least during our lifetime. This is no small feat, especially since there is absolutely nothing to compare this experience to. Congratulate yourself and revel in the fact that under these circumstances, you tried your best with what you had every single day. You had your own personal experiences to contend with during this time as well, but you made your students a priority even and especially when many of them made little to no effort to return or there was some circumstance that they were dealing with and they didn't return. Summer is upon us. <sighs> it is time to sit back, relax, have a beer, a glass of wine, or whatever you like to drink, and take stock of the 2019-2020 school year. Whether you're in your 25th year of teaching or just completed your first, take a moment to celebrate all that you accomplished for the entire year. Make a list of accomplishments for yourself and your students. Celebrate the small wins and the big ones. At least there was no test prep or testing this spring, and we can all celebrate that. Thank you. Again, because we cannot hear it enough for hanging in there and giving everything you had for your students. With that said, Rekindled Teachers is a field guide to shaking off all that BS and kicking some ass one teacher story at a time. And we will ignite this community as we celebrate our teacher stories and we understand teacher agency. Right now is when you need agency more than ever. And as a matter of fact, we always need agency. It doesn't matter what time it is. But together, we are building this community so that we can embody empowerment and we can support each other and we can fight for our students and what we know is right for them. And we can fight for our profession to rekindle the relationships that we have with each other and the passion that we have for teaching to become agents of change. Each episode of Rekindled Teachers will have a topic for discussion, a short discussion of theory and research, and conclude with teacher stories. For this episode, we are having a conversation about first-year teaching experiences. I'll briefly discuss some of my research and how it is relevant for first-year teachers. And then finally, you will hear a conversation between Ashton Gilday and myself. Our first years of teaching are tumultuous. Most of the time, we are barely hanging on and trying to survive, all while learning and cultivating who we are as a teacher and honing more concretely our values, philosophies, and pedagogical identity. 
Because these first years can be fragile, it is important that new teachers have support and, an, and are encouraged to build relationships with other teachers. These relationships and supportive professional developments can help a new teacher not only continue to refine their pedagogical practice, but also continue to stay in the profession. One of the reasons that I was motivated to not only pursue my doctorate, but to engage in research surrounding agency is that I saw way too many brilliant, engaging, creative, and just plain awesome people leave teaching. We need these dedicated, bright-eyed new teachers to infuse education, to inspire our students, and to inspire us as more experienced teachers. We need them. Several years ago, when I was teaching at a local high school, I was the department chair, and we hired a teacher who came from another state. She was amazing. She was young. She was so smart. She knew exactly what she was doing. And soon after, we started calling her the freshman whisperer. She was teaching only freshmen. And it was amazing her work that she enjoyed working with freshmen. She thought that they were hilarious and she fundamentally understood what they needed in terms of writing and reading and English in general. She just understood. She understood the freshmen and she understood what they needed. It was amazing. And she was a new teacher. It was profoundly sad to me when she decided that she was going to leave education altogether and pursue a different career. This has to stop. We cannot let these brilliant people who have such a passion for learning and teaching and for students, we cannot let them leave education. We have to provide them with the support that they need to help them get over the hump of the first years of teaching. In the first couple of episodes, I defined agency and we discussed power dynamics that influence agency and I introduced the idea of agentic orientation, which just to remind you, is the way in which our agency changes either positively or negatively. And I just also want to remind you that expert power, which is what teachers have, is expert power. This drives agency as teachers are acknowledged for their expertise and content knowledge in pedagogy. There is a power dynamic that oppresses agency, and this unfortunately happens more often than not. And this is the coercive power, which is the thing that happens any time that a teacher fears punishment, embarrassment, or ridicule, and a whole bunch of other negative emotions. This is caused by the coercive power. And that coercive power affects our agency very neg negatively. 
So far, this discussion of research and theory has been entirely other people's theory. So now let's talk about the findings from my own research. I conducted teacher research with teacher narratives and teacher stories, and I interviewed teachers, and I asked them questions that led to their expression of their agentic orientation, whether they had positive agency or negative agency. And so we're going to discuss a little bit about what my research found as it relates to new teachers. So one thing is, is that there is a correlation between the years of experience and agency. As the more experience that, it, that a teacher uh, has, the more personal agency the teacher experiences. Teachers who have been teaching longer seem to focus on students and figuratively close their classroom doors to the outside oppressive forces that diminish agency. Because one thing that happens when we're new at teaching is we're looking for validation that we're doing the right thing. And if we're not getting validated, then our agentic orientation declines and we don't have agency. But the more we work on pedagogy, and the more we work on our classroom management and our lesson planning, and the more interaction we have with students, the more validation that we have that we're doing a good job and that we're doing the right thing. This increases our agentic orientation and gives us positive agency. So it's super important that new teachers get that support to build their agency so they're not influenced by the outside forces that do not support them and encourage their positive agentic orientation. So it is important to note here that new teachers are in the process of acquiring their expert knowledge. Sure, they have college degrees and they've gone through their teacher prep programs, but the working pedagogical expert knowledge that is in their classroom that comes with experience, new teachers are just developing this. So new teachers are vulnerable to the factors that diminish or that negate teacher agency. So it's really important that we support new teachers and help encourage their positive acquisition and change their agentic orientation so that they feel that they have expert power and that they have expertise and that they know what they're doing. Before we get to our conversation, I want to share a little bit about my first years of teaching. One thing that I want to impress here is that for the most part, most of my first years of teaching, I had imposter syndrome to a very exaggerated degree, or at least that's what it felt like to me. I felt like I really didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was talking about. And I couldn't even believe that somebody hired me as a teacher. And most of the time I felt that they only hired me to be a warm body in the classroom so that students were not unattended to. And it took me a long time to realize that I did know what I was talking about. But the only way that I could get to that point is when I had confidence in my abilities 
to manage the five million things that need to be managed from the time the first bell rings to the time the last bell rings of the day, which is a lot. I want to focus on this one year. It was my fourth year of teaching, and I was teaching a grade of students that is totally inappropriate for me personally to be teaching. In order for me to be effective, I need students to be at a specific cognitive level. I didn't know this at the time, but I needed a job, so I took it. I was miserable the whole time, and I had actually very, very little support from the admin, and I had no relationships developed with the other teachers. So basically, I was just in my classroom by myself, questioning everything I did, crying a whole lot, and actively pursuing a different career. And this was a very critical time period because I very well could have left education at that time and just gone on to do something else. But I didn't. I stayed. And the only reason I stayed was not because I'm stubborn or persistent or that I have this extraordinary passion for learning, which I do. It was because no no opportunity presented itself to me. That's the only reason why I'm still here, because I truly was going to quit. And it was my fourth year of teaching. The really valuable lesson there is that it was just circumstances why I didn't leave. But now, all these years later, like, I don't know, 16 years later, I'm really happy that an opportunity didn't present itself. And I tell any new teacher that I encounter, that it's super important that you don't make any changes. Don't go looking for a new job until you give education five years. Give it five years. Now, especially after doing all this research, it's really important that you find colleagues to help you and support you and you look for ways in which to to acknowledge your expert power in whatever way that it can be. So I'm just going to say to all you new teachers out there, hang in there. If you need validation, send me an email. I am happy to talk you through it. But just hang on and don't quit. Uh, Today I'm welcoming Ashton Gilday, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, So the first question I want to ask you, since you're relatively a new teacher, is how long you've been teaching, but really speak about your, your first year of teaching and what that experience was like for you. Okay. Well, I just finished my fifth year teaching, and my first year was it was interesting so i just finished my master's program and got my first job and so we read all those articles about you know the dropout rate especially within the first year and then the first five years and you know all the issues and stuff like that so that was fresh in my brain i go into the school and the school is great but i got some interesting groups of students my first year so two of my five classes were sophomore honors kids which was actually a lot of fun and they're probably the reason i made it through my first year because They just really wanted to bond with me right away. They were very academically inclined. So it didn't matter what crazy thing I wanted them to do. They did it. 
I remember at one point, I made them read the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock at least seven times because I taught them a different kind of uh, literary criticism every week. And we went, or even, I don't know, maybe in a few a week, we read it over every single time. They hated it at first and loved it by the end. But anyways, my other group of kids, which was the majority of my classes, was a group of on-level juniors, not AP, not honors, anything like that. And the year before, they had, had I think, six or seven long-term substitutes over the course of their sophomore year. So they had no sense of structure or purpose for their English class. I don't even know what extent they really like learned or retained anything from that year before and so I went in and they had no motivation but also like no no trust like they kept asking me especially the first semester like when are you leaving how long are you staying like because they didn't as far as I knew I wasn't going to stick around um so I think some students maybe even been trying to get me to leave at first because it was fun you know, to have that change and the, the no structure thing the year before. But there were some students who, you know, were trying to, to bond with me right away. And not always, like, everyone thinks, like, the, the kids that want to bond with you are the goody-two-shoes kids who, you know, always want to get A's. But with my juniors, that was actually not the case. Sometimes it was, like, the kids who were, like, the problem kids who were, like, trying to befriend me. But I tried to use that to my advantage. I'm like, okay. I get them on my side and then they set the pace of the class and the classroom behavior because if everyone sees that this kid is vibing with me and doing what I tell them to then they're going to follow in suit. So that was a, a good thing that I learned my first year for, for trouble um, classes and trouble kids. But honestly, I had to get them to trust me. So I started this thing where I made them email me every week at the end of the week. Friday nights they go home. They'd tell me about their week, not just in my class, but in all of their classes, outside of their classes. And then I'd have them tell me what did you learn in my class this week? What are you still struggling with? Any questions that you still need answers to that you didn't want to ask in class or something. And that definitely helped. Obviously not everyone did it all the time, you know. Um, I mean I made it a grade just to try and get more of them, even though I think that if the teacher wanted to do that, not having it as a grade work too and I remember there were there were some students who you know at first were like very much like they did it just for the grades like my week was fine nothing happened I don't like them. I was like okay thanks but then as the year progressed slowly you know they started to tell me a little bit more about their week and they tell me about this you know new girlfriend that they got uh, especially I had a, a student my first year who at first was like the kid making jokes, trying to get me off track and making fun of me, not trying to do the assignments. And I'm too cool for this. And, you know, the kid who's doing emails like, oh, yeah, my week's fine, blah. And his emails started getting better. When I was doing the National Poetry Writing Challenge in April, he did it with extra credit, but was like, you know, roses are bread. I hate haikus. Like, but then by the end, he's writing these beautiful poems about, you know, his relationship with his girlfriend or his friends or about his dreams for the future and really opening up. So by the end of the year, all my junior classes had realized I was there and I was sticking around and I really feel that I had a really good bond with them, especially in my sixth hour. Because sixth hour, end of the day, is already rough no matter what kids you have. And at first they were my worst class. Like at the end of the day, every day, the first quarter, I wanted to like cry and scream and like jump out the window thank god it couldn't open but by the end of the year my sixth grade class was probably the junior class that I was the closest to and we got along the best we just had a really good vibe that two cool kid was in that class and you know last day of school we had cleaned up the room they helped me stack the desks and chairs you know they all left they had a few chatting with me no he had already left then he comes back in when everyone else is gone and says Mr. O'Day I just want to thank you 
you know, at first I didn't really understand what you were trying to do or, or, or I didn't, and I didn't like this class, but as the year went on, I just really got to know you and I just, I learned a lot. So thank you so much. And I was shocked because like, one, like who it was and then the classes and I just, it was just really great to learn that lesson because there were definitely times during the first year teaching with all of those issues and the students that I thought like, is this really for me? But that comment along with just some other wins over my first year is what helped me continue to teach through. You cultivated relationships with students your first year, but at the end it was very rewarding, especially Mm -hmm. when that too cool for school kid came and validated the effort that you put forth. But how did you get through the struggle and the, the, you even said so yourself just a minute ago about do I, am I even meant to do this? You know, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? So how did you, how did you cope with those lows in that first year? Uh, I think being at the school that I I was at and I'm still at was helpful because in general, the school had a very welcoming, supportive environment. And then the district has a policy about first year teachers in the district having a mentor. And my mentor was in the classroom next to mine. So very, you know, close when I needed anything, I could run over there in the morning during lunch after school. So I pretty much lived in her room (laughs) when I wasn't teaching class that year. And she was just really helpful because I could go in there and I could tell her that I think I just made a fool of myself and she wouldn't like judge me. And a lot of times she would make me realize that I hadn't made a fool of myself and that no lesson is ever totally perfect. And just what am I going to take from that? And she was really busy too. Um, and first you're teaching you're crazy. So I also, she had me keep a, a reflective journal during the process. So I would write out about how lessons went. And whether it was good or bad, obviously, I didn't just write about the good times so I could have a fake idea of what my first year was. But I also didn't write about the bad time. I just wrote about everything, even the stuff like, do I want to quit? Do I want to sign my contract within this year? And she would read it and respond to it. What I liked a lot too is I remember during my student teaching, I would I would get really nervous about my lessons and are they what this lesson is supposed to be? As if every lesson, like, yes, there's a standard that you're an objective, but like, what is it really supposed to be other than teaching them that? And I know when my cooperating teacher during my student teaching would ask me why I was doing something, it took me a long time to realize that that wasn't a judgment. It was really just like, okay, why are you doing that? It's not necessarily a bad thing. And so I got a little bit better with that by the time I was teaching. But my first year teaching, I would still doubt all of my natural instincts. I would come up with an idea and then I would be like, no, that's stupid. And my mentor teacher would be like, well, why is that stupid? Like, talk me through your idea a little bit more. And she would just help me to realize that I could just trust myself, that I you know, I had a master's degree, I knew what I was doing, I had homeschooled before, that I wasn't just some idiot trying, you know, spawn whatever in the classroom. Um, and that is really, I think, what got me through it and helped me realize that I should continue because my instincts were there and I had good ideas. And then when getting the validation from the students, that just really kind of brought it all home that, you know, if the students are enjoying it, because of course other teachers might like an idea, like, oh yeah, that sounds great, but the kids feel like this is stupid. But yeah, just her support and, you know, not telling me, well, I did it this way, so you should do it this way, because that is also a big pet peeve. She definitely just gave me the guidance and the freedom to discover my own instincts and discover my own teaching style instead of trying to give me a style. Wow. I think that's the reason why first year teachers leave is because they think about what everyone else is doing and they see other teachers and they're like, I'm going to do that too. But 
if that doesn't fit your personality or your instincts as a teacher, then you're going to feel like, oh, teaching isn't for me, but it could just be that teaching style. That is a really insightful idea that I hadn't actually thought about in that perspective exactly that that specific teaching style, but you're right. When we are in teaching, there are as, as many students as there are, as many ways to learn that there are, are as many different teaching styles. I mean, it's, you're never going to find two people who do the same thing exactly the same way. And it isn't productive for a new teacher to compare themselves because they're not at the same years of experience and years of working with this particular group of students or this community of people. And so there's no way that the comparison is even, is even relevant, but yet as human beings, we do it anyway. So taking away the comparison or taking away that sort of idea that you have to look like someone else in your classroom and understanding that the way you're developing Mr. Gilday, not a copy of Mrs. McGee. <laughs> so, I mean, even though I think you and I probably have very similar teaching philosophies, but we may not approach a text like The Great Gatsby in the same way because we're going to teach from a different perspective or whatever. And that is perfectly acceptable and wonderful because this, that means that the students have so many opportunities to experience different teaching styles. But that's really awesome. And I feel like you were really lucky to have such a great mentor. Oh, absolutely. I, and I know I was, and I was, I was very sad when she, she left our school after that year, because I, I felt like I had so much more I could still learn from her. And of course, I'm still in contact with her. And um, she's, you know, continued on to, to do things in much more of like a, a helping other teachers kind of role. Um, she's not in a, in a classroom anymore. Um, but honestly, I think that's probably where she's best served, because she just has so many great ideas. And she's still helpful at being a non-judgmental place for you to develop your ideas. Even our teaching styles, like she was a teacher, like I don't think I ever saw a worksheet or like other than like the reading, I never saw like a printed thing for the kids to do in her classroom, which is, is great for her. And I know there's lots of teachers who do that. And I know there's other teachers in my school and other schools where all you see is printed stuff. And you know what, that's fine if that's their teaching style. Because I was very nervous, so I, my natural instinct was a, a combination of the two. It's like, well, I want a worksheet for this because it's just so fundamental. I need to make sure they know it. But then I'm going to go and do this crazy, you know, synthesis analysis combination game board project. And the kids are going to do that for their fight. And so it was nice that she wasn't like, well, why are you using that worksheet first? You know, um, she was like, okay, if you feel like that's what the students need, then that's what they need. And so I really just enjoyed that I wasn't being judged. And if I needed something for me just to be a sounding board, she would listen and ask me the questions to get to where I wanted to be, but not be like, no, 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 you should do this. That's really awesome. I feel like it, that mentorship gave you a, it sounds like that mentorship gave you a really firm foundation and confidence going into your second year. Yeah, my second year, I really enjoyed. It was interesting though, um, everyone looks forward to their second year because you have all these lesson plans to go back to and why I did not. <laughs> because my first year I taught the sophomore honors and the juniors, but then my school allows you to create like themes for classes and it becomes its own class on the record book. And so I had created a world mythology class for freshmen and so I got four sections of that that were signed up so that was great 
And then my mentor, she had had a class for seniors called Current Affairs. And there was only one section signed up for that and she was leaving. And I had that one open section. So it just made sense for me to take it. So I took it. And at first I was just like, okay, I'll take it for her and I'll teach it this year and then I'll be done with it. But then I fell in love with it. So I've actually been teaching those two classes for the past few years. But year two was almost like year one in the sense of like lesson planning and figuring it out. And I hadn't taught freshmen since my student teaching and I had never taught seniors. So that was that was interesting. Honestly, I would say my second and third year were, were probably the easiest years just in terms of like working with the students and bonding with the students and, and getting stuff. They were the most fun. Maybe not the best, but they were the most fun. Because I think that's another misconception is everyone thinks like the first year is hard and then it gets easier and easier from there. But my fourth year teaching wasn't like difficult. I had difficult moments. And I think a lot of it was like coming off the Red for Ed movement the year before. I just like I don't know, and create some weird vibes between students and teachers. Like my freshmen that year, just for some reason, like the majority of them like refused to want to bond. Like it wasn't like they were disrespectful. They just had like no interest in any of the bonding activities. And we made it through and we, you know, got along and stuff. But I'm usually like to the point where I have to keep my kids from stalking me because we're so bonded. But that year I, I didn't have that problem, which was nice in a way, but like weird. And then this year was just the fifth year was probably, in my opinion, like the most difficult since my first year. And I'm, I still haven't pinpointed exactly why, other than maybe because like I had my freshman from that first mythology class I ever taught in my senior class. So I was all excited for that. It's like, the best year ever so maybe I just put too many expectations on the year before it started which I've learned and I'm not going to do anymore or maybe fifth year like I, I don't like to be complacent so I may have just started over questioning myself because I was worried like well was I doing enough the past few years have I fallen into a sense of complacency should I try things that are different then sometimes when I'm trying things that are different I, I am I going too far out of my style trying to be something I'm not and so there was just a lot to think about and so I'm going to use this summer to reflect in a healthy way not over analyze myself but also get ready for teaching a new section because I'll be doing a dual enrollment class next year and the current affairs class so I won't have freshmen which is weird now for me and I will miss the freshman. But I'm excited for the new stuff. So there's lots to think about and figure out how to make my style work for the different classes. Because, you know, one will be full of, I imagine the, the dual enrollment will be full of almost like an honors or AP class, the kids who are more motivated. But again, I don't want to put that expectation on them. So I'm excited for that. I think that you said something early on, earlier on that there is a misconception going into your second year of teaching because you have all these lesson plans. Uh, but the thing is, is that you're never guaranteed to have the exact same preps the next year. So then you get thrown it like you did. You had two brand new preps, so you didn't have any lesson plans. Uh, but what you did have was a foundation of how to process thinking through lesson plans and looking at your lesson plans from a different perspective. And then also, did you continue using reflection as a way to get through that, you know, journaling, or did you continue to use that as a resource? I did journal, um, unfortunately, not to the same extent. I think there was more of a motivational factor when I knew it was like I was writing to somebody, that I knew there'd be someone to read it. And, and, and I'm still kind of the same place where I reflect and I, I write stuff down. Or I like sum up like, you know, ideas of why I think this part of the lesson went well, this part didn't. But I think you know, again, if I had someone to share it with, I would be even more inclined to write. And not like for a sense of like narcissism, like I want them to see how good I did. But like, 
to get their genuine feedback and their, their genuine thoughts. So I'm even thinking like if there was something I could do with my department next year, just kind of set up something like that with each other. Of course, we talk about it together. But I also know sometimes when you talk about it with other teachers, it can easily turn into a rant or complaining session. And I've, I've actually forbidden that at our department meetings since I'm a department chair. That, you know, if you're going to complain, can you wait until five, we can go get a beer and then I'll listen to you then. But right now, I like, I'm not saying like, if you see a problem, don't say something. Like, I, I can take problems, we can talk about them. But I feel like if we could, if I could set up something in my department where we had like a journaling buddy, and I could, because every year at the beginning of the year, I, I buy them little, like, kind of like teacher packs. I put them in like little, the little containers, and I give them like erasers and cough drops and pens and mints and tea bags and just whatever other random stuff I find. That, and I give it to them with a card. So maybe this year I'll give them like a journal or something, and then we can like find a partner to swap with. Especially with having two new teachers in our department next year. It'd be really good for those, even though they're not new to teaching, they're new to our department, helping them feel like they have somebody, you know, that they're connected would be good. I kind of want to ask you a question about how you're surviving the, or how you did survive. You obviously survived because the <laughs> school year is over now. Yeah. But how did you manage to survive once this pandemic really escalated and we all were ordered just to stay home and we could no longer go back to our classrooms uh yeah i mean there was definitely some ups and downs throughout the process at first you know the, the like the very first week a, a good chunk of my students were getting online and it was just like an assignment here or there to figure out like who had access and who didn't to internet and computer or smartphone um but then and i'm not saying i even disagree with it you know when it was made very clear that it was supposed to be enrichment only, you know, by the governor, like the, the grading, like basically it kind of got out to the students that we wouldn't hold their fourth quarter grade against them. And they could essentially, if they were passing quarter three, they could opt out and do nothing. And there'd be no, they say there'd be no consequences, but also the students, you know, weren't aware that like retention would be a consequence. There's these brand new standards that I was supposed to just teach you. They're going to be missing out on. So if you're a senior going into college, you're going to miss out on those. If you're a freshman going into sophomore year, you're going to struggle beginning of sophomore year. And I just wish maybe that could have been made more clear to the students. Um, and I know like our admin on our specific campus made that very clear to the parents and students in an email they sent out. But so I very quickly lost a lot of students. I ended up for the most part only having about a third of my students in each class participating. And at first, that was really hard for me to deal with because I feel like I have a good bond with my students. Um, I feel like I'm good at motivating and engaging my students. So when I see this, like, I, I can only think of it as a, a personal failing, that clearly I was wrong and I have no effect on my students and I'm not a good motivator. And uh, clearly I've had this misconception of myself at least this year, which I'd already been feeling that this year, had not been so good compared to other years, even before the pandemic. So when this happened, it, it was kind of a spiral. There was a week where I definitely had a hard time. And, you know, but I, I just sat down one morning and I said, I could sit here and I could moan and groan and I could half-heartedly grade these few assignments and then sit and stare at my computer for the rest of my contract time. Or I could find motivation. So I did and I read some stuff and I actually listened to an episode of your podcast, the first one. And, you know, I was like, you know what, this... I need to just get over myself because like playing myself right now is more narcissistic and not helpful than what's actually was going on. 
And so I just tried to change the way I was doing it and just focus on the students who were participating. I'm reaching out to them. Are these videos working and finding different tools to make my videos? And um, I've been excited because the freshmen usually get to read a novel of their choice this quarter. And I had decided we're going to still do that. Well, I hadn't thought like, well, what about the students who get the book during spring break and everything's shut down? And what about the students who can't afford to, to ship it online or this and that? And so I reached out and I took a survey and the freshmen responded. And some of them just said, like, I just can't get into the book right now. I just can't get a copy of the book. So I was like, you know what? I'll do some stuff for the kids who want to keep reading their novel. And then the kids who don't have a novel or don't want to read it will have alternate assignments. Instead of taking away from kids who want it, I'll just do two different things. And I actually had more freshmen participate after I did that because they saw that I was listening to them. So that was helpful. The seniors, I usually do like a visual analysis unit so much of our media right now that people experience is on a screen. So we usually look at little cartoons, um, advertisements, political ads, full-length films, and stuff like that. But I still wanted to do that, and so I would be posting stuff, maybe doing a Google Classroom discussion, which was fine, but like I missed my students, because a lot of the times with that, like I don't script my lessons. Like So a lot of the energy of the videos that I was creating, for instance, weren't as good at first because I was just saying, you know, the facts. And I just so, when I realized that, I was like, okay, I need to imagine that I'm seeing my students. And I try to think of the that I knew really well. I'm like, okay, how would they respond to this? And I'd make my dumb jokes. And they don't laugh anyway, so I, was, I just did my fake laugh like I do in class when they're just staring at me like I'm an idiot. And I think that helped. And then I also gave the students the option of having a Zoom discussion with me instead of doing the written discussion online. So when I was doing like the office hour Zooms, no one was showing up, but I had was given an assigned time, and I was given 8.30 in the morning. Well, the students, if we're being realistic, are not staying on the sleep schedule they did when they had to physically be in school. So my kids would sleep right through it. So I said, you know what? If you guys wanna make your own discussion group, email me the names and the time that you want to meet that you don't have other classes you're required to go to this meeting for, then we can do that. And I had a few groups do that. And in fact, one group had so much fun having the discussions with me that the last discussion we did was on a full-length film that we all watched separately on Netflix and then talked about. They were like, Mr. Gilday, I know we're graduating. I know we're leaving, but could we like do like a monthly movie club with you via Zoom and just decide a movie and then meet again. Two of them are going to U of A and one of them is going to California for college. So that's why I was said to keep it Zoom. So we've already picked out the next movie we're gonna do. We're gonna meet in June and have a session about it. So I, I think in the end it, it ended, I, honestly I don't wanna say like I was like happy necessarily, but like I felt that I had done enough compared to like what I had felt. So obviously I'm not gonna be happy because I know I could have done even more, but I'm not gonna beat myself up over it because I did what I could with the situation that I was in. Yeah, I think that is the most important for all teachers to take away in terms of this last semester, to remember that number one, we have no experience to connect, to compare it to. So this is that we have nothing like nobody has any experience you could be a teacher in the classroom for 20 years or a teacher in the classroom for one year and everybody's on the same playing field in terms of what happened during this pandemic so not getting into this sort of idea of comparison but but also realizing and giving yourself credit for what you did do and whatever it was you did 
was going to be enough. Because as teachers in the classroom, we like to think that learning is kind of 100% our responsibility, but it's actually only 50%. Because the other 50% is about the learners. And if the learners come into the classroom, then they have to decide that they want to learn, regardless of how experienced or prepared or the excitement of the lesson, the students actually have to decide to learn and you can't make someone do anything. So the students who were engaged were engaged and yeah. that is definitely something to celebrate, I think. And you make a good point because it's interesting too, like when I'm physically in the classroom with my students, it is very easy for me to remember that I can't teach them if they're not willing to learn. And I've even had <laughs> conversations with students about that if I feel like unmotivated or whatnot. But as soon as you, you put a teacher in this weird, you know, juggle they figure out of this online stuff. I, it's like I immediately forgot about it. And all of a sudden it became my responsibility to be this like super entertaining, motivational speaker that someone gets all the students. But I also had to remember too, something that was important was to be realistic and not necessarily judge all my students, especially the seniors. Like I definitely had some students who eventually reached out to me saying, you know, I'm so sorry that I haven't been doing the work. My both my parents have been laid off. I'm working six days a week. And when I'm home on Sunday, I just don't have the time or energy to catch up with all my classes. And, you know, these students, you know, had A's or B's in my class the quarter before, so they knew they were, they were safe. And I was like, you know what, I, that, I, I totally understand. You know what I mean? Now, of course, it, I wish that every student in that situation would have reached out. But then again, I wish that because it would have made me feel better, but that wouldn't necessarily help them in their situation. So that's just why I try to say, like, if a student's not doing it, I just hope that it's for a good reason. And then I just let it go. You know what I mean? I know some of the freshmen, it could have been that they didn't have anyone at home to help them figure stuff out and stuff like that. Um, I'm just trying to have grace and assume that the kids were doing what they could too, just like the teachers were. So. Also, the students had, even though we think, or at least people in my generation think that if you sit around playing video games all the time, then you understand and can, and can manipulate technology. But the older that I get, the more that I realize that that actually is not true, that you have mm -hmm. students who play video games, but that they don't actually know how to use other kinds of technology efficiently or even can manipulate it to make it do you know, something that they want to do. So just this sort of preconceived idea that these young people who sort of grew up in this you know, with computers and cell phones and all of this, that they have the skills. We need to really rethink that and be generous and give our students grace because they may not have those skills. So even those preconceived notions that the students had no way to anticipate how to do this thing as much as the teachers didn't either. So I think that as our educational institution, we all need grace. And if we, if we showed up, then we did good because yep. just showing up was half of the battle. Yep. And one interesting thing about the technology, just to, to throw in there, I noticed that since these kids that I teach grew up with mostly smartphones as their main tech, like a smartphone is basically a computer, right? So there are some of them who can do anything on their smartphone. They teach me how to do things on my smartphone. But you put a laptop in front of them and they don't know how it all, like just look at them typing essays they're so used to autocorrect that I get so angry sometimes. I understand why now, but I get so angry when all the eyes are not capital. Like I did, you know, they're used to being autocorrected that I'll go through an all circle, all of them. And I'm just like, oh, but now I realize it's like, 
they're not used. Some students when I have laptops in the classroom, the Chromebooks, they'll actually ask if they can type the essay on their phone because they have the app on their phone and they prefer it. To and that blows my mind because I would never want to do that, but that they literally prefer it. So when you throw a computer in front of them and say, figure out Zoom and Google Classroom on your laptop, it is overwhelming for some reason. Oh yeah, and to have this idea that a cell phone, while it is a computer, is the same as using a computer, that's just ignorance on the part of the person who is assuming that. Yeah. Um, because I too am blown away. Even the first year college students that I teach, when we're in class and they, and they all have computers and I'm asking them to do something, I, I am blown away when they ask me if they could use their phone instead. I'm like, oh my gosh, I would, <laughs> that would never in a million years be my choice. But, you know, I don't ever say no if they, if they prefer to use their cell phones, you know, because I mean, the reality is, is when they're out doing whatever it is they're gonna do for their jobs or for work or whatever it is they're gonna do, they're going to continue to use the thing that they're familiar with. So, you know, just saying, no, it's a cell phone. I don't want you to use it. The most important thing really is just not to have those assumptions about your students and uh, try to, you know, do the best you can. Absolutely. I really appreciate you being on this episode and talking about your first year teaching experiences and even your experiences with the pandemic. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. That was a really great conversation with Ashton. And I realized the importance of mentorship. It's really important for new teachers to find a to find an experienced teacher to mentor them and help them through all of the really tough times during our first years of teaching. I invite you, the listener, to follow Rekindled Teachers on Instagram. Join the Rekindled Teachers Facebook group. I also invite you to send me an email or a voicemail of your story uh, to rekindledteachers at gmail.com. And I really mean it. If you're a new teacher and you need validation, send me an email. Tune in next week as we have a conversation with an experienced teacher. And we talk about how education has changed and shifted and managing agency through the years of education. I would like to give a special thanks to Dr. Sarah Cooper at Murray State, my mentor, Dr. Flory Simon. I would also like to say thank you to Tiffany, Emily, and Brian, the greatest team possible. And of course, I am indebted to the teachers who volunteered to be part of my research. Thank you to Ashton Gilday for joining me in conversation today about new teacher experiences. And I also want to end by saying a very special thank you to my peeps, Stacia, Eric, Jen, Leanne, Liz, Mark, Brian, Paula, and Tom for being amazing teachers and being absolutely wonderful friends. Our logo was designed by Sahar and the music was composed by Eli Chambers.